Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome back here to Strength to Strength. What a blessing uh, to be together again and just a good time of visiting here beforehand. Um, brothers here from all parts um, of the world, and um, but that shouldn't su- surprise us. With God's kingdom, we have this familial spirit. With Jesus as our king, and as our elder brother, and, and God as our father. With this familial spirit that ties us together all around the world. And, and what, a, what a blessing to be here, to be part of this kingdom. So this is our last talk for 2022. We sit here at the, the sunset of a year, uh, anticipating a new year. I think this is a 34 talk um, for this year. And um, it's been a it's been a really good year here on Strength to Strength. We're very thankful for that. We've seen uh, many friendships get started here and many interactions. And here at Strength to Strength, we often get emails that come in with questions and um, it's been a uh, it's been a very, very good year. We want to thank our Heavenly Father for that. A quote that I thought of this morning as I was thinking about here at the sunset of 2022, I thought of a quote by C.T. Studd. Only one life will soon be passed. Or maybe we could say only one year. And then he continues, um, but only what's done for Christ will last. And so... Um, isn't that, isn't that the case? We know that deeply, that um, it's those things that are done for God, those important things, things of the kingdom, some of those are very mundane and small, um, but those, those, those will last. Uh, so that's uh, that can be reassuring to us as we face the future, uncertain as it might be. Um, we can face it with certainty. And even with anticipation to see what, what God is going to do uh, in this coming year. And we're so excited to have our brother, uh, Micah on this morning. The whole way from, um, the, out in this Pacific, um, Northwest. So welcome here this morning, uh, with us, Micah. Uh, I got to meet Micah, um, maybe in June of this year. I think you were, you and your family were through. They had spent a year at Sattler College in Boston and, and they were on the way back. Um, to the west coast and uh, stop by and it was a real blessing to to meet you here um, this past year. His topic this morning is from bondage and darkness to liberty and light. And really looking forward to hearing your testimony, Micah. <clears throat> I've gotten to hear a little bit of that, uh, but to hear that here again and also to, to also to hear what you're anticipating uh, for the future. So that was a blessing to look back. And, um, and to look forward and even to talk about the present as well. So we're anticipating that. So thank you, Micah, for joining us the whole way from out in Oregon. So Micah is from the Pacific time zone. And I, I think this is actually the first time we've had somebody from that part of the world join us this, join us. So, uh, you thank you for being so brave. I, I'm, I don't know if we ever asked anybody, but if we have, we got no's because like I said, <laughs> They've never joined before, but uh, it's good to have you here. So Michael was up at 2.30, 2 o'clock in the morning out there. So what a, what a blessing to uh, have you here and to join us. Um, I was curious, Michael, are you, are you going to be up 
this early and then also see the new year in too tonight? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, we don't, I'm not, I'm not sure what we're doing today. <laughs> I think that, that, that would be, that would be, that, that would be called burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. And the middle too. <laughs> <laughs> With nine children in the house, you might not get your, your a good nap in. I, I don't know. But anyhow, um, so good to have you here. Before we get started, let's just bow our heads and uh, ask our Heavenly Father to be with us here. Father, thank you uh, for this privilege of gathering with these brothers from all parts of the world, all parts of your kingdom. Lord, we're so humbled to, as we look back over the past year, and I'm as sure as Micah looks back over his life, we see your hand at work, and we want to thank you, Lord. We will be those who come back and say thank you. You have grateful hearts. Even though there was, there's been hard things, there's also been so many good things, so many blessings. And, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would guide Micah and just give him wisdom, a clear mind, a calm heart as he shares, Lord, and that he would do it for your glory, which I'm certain that is his heart. And help him just to just trust in you uh, in this time as he tells his life story. And he also, as he dreams about, about the future, Father, we you've given us the ability to imagine and to create. And so, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would just bless the desires of the Hosen family, the Brackett family, as they consider Portland and the, the need for a kingdom church in that city. So, Father, God, direct them. God direct him as he shared this morning, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Micah, um, we'll turn it over to you, and God bless you, brother, as, as, as you share. You can introduce yourself whatever way you like, and then close when you would like, and we'll open it up for some uh, Q&A then as well. So, all yours. All right. Thank you, brother. And I, I want to say I appreciate the videos. Um, it's hard for me to talk into space and into nothing, so... If any of the rest of you want to pop on your videos, I'd appreciate it. Uh, even if you're in your PJs, that'd be okay. <laughs> um, so my name is Micah Hosen. I'm from uh, Oregon, originally from California, uh, Southern California. Um, I'm going to share a little bit of my story. Um, but I want to start when I was 19 years old. Um I was raised in a, a church going home. So at 19 years old, I was at um, Pismo Beach, which is about central coast of California. And I found myself buried alive four feet deep under the sands of Pismo Beach, breathing through a half inch uh, piece of metal conduit with four guys, including my older brother up above, trying to dig me out. And saved my life. I, I knew about God. And I knew about Christ. And I was not ready to die. The The first thing was. God I'm not ready to die. Um, I, I was raised to kind of. That I need to confess my sins. Before we die. And so I was doing that. And I was just, just all along. I, was, I had no peace. Um. I heard the shovels above me as they were trying to dig me out. And, um, and I knew I was lost. Um, we had, we had dug a fire pit 
and dug some holes in the sand, just kind of messing around and ended up being a tunnel. My brother dug one side. I had dug the other side. I was, when I was 19 years old, he was, uh, in his mid twenties. I was out there with he and his wife and some of our friends and we dug a tunnel. Somebody threw some fireworks in there and then a buddy said, Hey, I bet you can't make it through there. And I said, Oh, sure I can. So I dove in head first and it was four feet down and there was a pile of sand on top of it. And so I dug in, dove in and scrambled up and came out the other side. And I thought, wow, that was exciting. And, um, we were laughing a little bit and, um, and I can't remember why, but I went in a second time and I, and I dove in the hole and this is sand, beach sand, mind you. And as I was coming up to go up the other end of the tunnel, my back brushed this, the bit of sand and it collapsed on me. And my head was about four feet from the surface and the tunnel was still there. And my brother dove into the tunnel and tried to grab me. And I was, I was, I was buried from like my shoulders to my knees. And so he couldn't pull me out. Another friend was going to tie a rope to my boots and, and hook it to the hitch of his truck and try to pull me out that way. I'm glad he didn't do that. Um, and then the first thing I thought of is I saw the sand kind of coming in around me. As I said, I need something to breathe out of. My brother had made a use this this little uh, metal pipe to make a windbreak. I said, I need a piece of pipe. Give me a piece of conduit. Jeremy, my brother said, conduit. Nathan grabbed the piece of pipe, knocked it against his boot to get the sand out of it, gave it to Jeremy. He threw it in the hole. I could, I had my hand right here. I was able to grab the conduit and I kept it by my mouth. They grabbed shovels, started digging and it caved the rest of the sand in. So it was totally black. And I had my hand and a little bit of air around here and I was breathing through this pipe. And it, it took a while. I think it was a half hour. Uh, it seemed like eternity. And I could hear them above saying, Michael, we're getting tired as they were digging and digging and digging. Um, and, and all along I was crying out to God, God, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to die. Um, they finally dug down a deep enough channel that I could see some light. Uh, it was nighttime, but I could see the lights around and, but it was so steep. They moved around and it knocked, caved it in again. Uh, I screamed out and they ended up digging me out that day. And I, and I came out onto the sand and I, I, we were raised to memorize prayers. And so I get on my knees and I said every memorized prayer that I knew and I got up and I hugged each of them guys that dug me out. And one of them said, Micah, I thought we were going to dig your grave today. And um, that night I got into my truck and I drove four hours to uh, another city where we were, I was going that weekend. And I was just thinking, thinking, thinking. So that was 19 years old. <clears throat> I want to, I want to zoom back to um, my childhood. Um, and I have a scripture for each section of my life. So the, my childhood, the scripture is 2 Timothy 3.15, uh, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise into salvation. Um, I was raised in the city in the Southern California suburbs in Whittier, California, born and raised. I was two years old and, and then I, was, I got married in the same house. So I knew one house growing up, went to public school, 
Um, I loved God's things. I loved the things about God. I loved singing. We, we were from a singing background and, and, and our family and our church. And so I loved singing. I was drawn to zeal and, and people who were zealous. Um, my older brother had made a vow. So amongst the, the group we were raised in, a lot of the youth, um, have drinking parties. And my brother had made a vow as a young teenager not to drink. And, and I remember he, with some other friends and he told me about it. And um, that inspired me. And I thought, I want to I want to do that, too. Um, I like serving at church. And so the youth can serve serve food and, and get involved in that way. And so I would always get involved and kind of get underfoot. But I, I'd like to help. Um, my father had a had zeal and. Um, he he sang and he worshiped God and I, I just loved it. I, I loved it. He was where a lot of other men would maybe be kind of stalwart and, and staunch. He was he was more zealous. Um, he had told stories of being a conscientious objector during Vietnam, have to stood, stood before a big row of judges with their cigars. And he had to explain to them why he wasn't going to go to war. Uh, my parents loved each other and I knew it. Um, my mom said I was a sweet boy. Um, but I was also, I was a liar and, and I was an angry boy. Um, I would burst out in anger toward my siblings and at school I'd get in fights and I was raised in a, in a Russian Molokan home. Um, I'm going to briefly explain what that might be because it doesn't have a really box to fit anything. Um, so in the 16, 1700s, the Molokans, um, had pulled away from the Russian Orthodox church, um, got rid of the idol, the icons, and they were very evangelistic, very simplistic in their faith. If any of you have read Peter Hoover wrote a book called the Russian secret. And he talked about uh, the, the remnant church in Russia for a thousand years. And so he mentions the spirit Christians and then the Molokans who came out of that group. Um, uh, they were a, a group that was big on holiness and nonconformity. They didn't go to war. They didn't get involved in government. Um, they were, it was a pretty diverse movement in the beginning. <clears throat> um, it, it see, I would, I would have called it a, an Eastern kingdom church, uh, kingdom Christians in, uh, in Russia. Um, all except they didn't do water baptism. That was the only thing, um, or the main difference. Um, and then in the 1830s, there was some kind of outward manifestation. Um, and again, I'm not, I don't know everything that happened back then, just the stories. And so there was like this manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And there was like a, a split between the Molokans and there were the Molokan jumpers who were the ones that received this outward manifestation of prophecy and tongues. And, and they would jump while they would, while they would worship. And then the other, the, the bulk of the Molokans in Russia stayed the, the constant Molokans or the steadfast. They call them Pasteyane. <clears throat> and in the 1850s, a, a prophetic leader, there's a lot of prophetic leaders uh, rose up, but one specifically named Maxim Gavrilovich Rudometkin. And, and he made claims about himself that he was the king of spirits, that he was the, the manifestation of the spirit of truth, that he was the third face of God. Um, all things that I don't believe are true, um, but became kind of a cult leader amongst amongst the jumper Molokans and he ended up getting taken to a monastery prison and, and he wrote, he wrote to his followers and, um, 
and he they they ended up some of his followers and smuggling his writings out on tea leaves and kind of a fascinating story but um he died in monastery prison he was in um Solovetsky and then Suzdo um his followers believed he was taken up uh there's some stories some some legends about you know when they went to the prison to see him so in in 1905, a bunch of the Molokans migrated to Southern California, um, and they were actually looking for, they, they actually wanted to live, and, and it was a mixed group. So, so it wasn't all the followers of Maxim that came to the U.S., but it was some that did and some that didn't. They were looking for actually for land in, in Canada or Mexico. They wanted to have like a commune type of setup. Um, but some men, a group of them ended up in Southern California, got jobs, earned money. People heard about it, and so there was a pretty big exodus. About 10,000 people came over in Southern California. Um, the followers of Maxim, the jumper Molokans, became preeminent in the American church by the 1950s. They printed his writings in a, in a second book. So, so the jumper Molokans have uh, the Bible, and then they have this other book of writings, which contains <coughs> uh, prophecies and teachings, um, and it's it's a um, it's a book of, that a lot of Molokans just take as a history book, but it's actually full of of pretty some pretty serious heresies, and um, um, and there's a couple of men that wrote in there, um, and it's it's a little it's confusing at best and and pretty dark at worst. So that was my sense. So in the in growing up, hundred years later, so that was 1905. They came over. So you know in up in the 80s and uh in in LA um I was raised that we were the, the we were the chosen God's chosen people and kind of a one true church like we were the only chosen people and every uh all the rest of them um there's like 666 false Christian faiths these are some of the things that we were raised with uh, I didn't have friends outside of the church uh we our our social circles and our religiously we were very isolated so when they never went to another outside church um one time i went to a school field trip to a catholic church i remember being kind of scared going in there um we wouldn't we wouldn't listen to any outside teachings that was very frowned upon and um and the russian language was pretty prolific um different churches did it different ways but all the singing and all the praying um and, and there was prophesying too. All that was all in the Russian language. Um, some churches allowed English preaching, but the, but the majority of people didn't, didn't have a working knowledge of Russian. A lot didn't understand it at all. Um, and let's see, socially and religiously isolated, but we weren't separate from the world. So we would go to, um, uh, in our behavior and our lifestyle, public school, entertainment, uh, TV, movies, music, a lot of the youth, um, like I said, drink and smoke, even drugs. Um, the, the, the youth scene is a lot of recreational dating, um, immodest, you know, beach lifestyle, all those things. So that was my, that was my childhood. And then growing into the teen years, the, the scripture that would identify my teen years, early teen years especially was, uh, Galatians 1.14, that I was more exceeding zealous of the tradition of my fathers. Um, I loved, I loved God's things. I guess that's the best way I could say it. Um, 
And a lot of Molokan youth get into smoking cigarettes. And I, I tried not to. When I was 15 years old, for one year, I smoked cigarettes and then just changed my mind about that. Um, I didn't get involved in the drinking scene. Uh, I lost friends because of that. Um, I didn't, I didn't have any, any real use for my Bible, for a Bible. Like I didn't like do Bible reading or anything. Um, and I was 15. I, I discovered masturbation and pornography. Um, and with the, uh, and so 15, the next couple of years, <clears throat> the internet came into our, our world and, and that just got exacerbated. Um, the Molokan youth, I, I said they have drinking parties and I didn't really go to those, but sometimes I would because my friends, as I got older, some of my friends got drawn to that and I had a zeal to try to help my friends to not get into that scene. So I would, I would go to the parties and I would, I would steal their beer and I would throw it in the trash to try to, to try to get them to, um, to not do that. Um, it didn't help. And, and it gave me a sense of that that I was doing something right, but, but also that I had, you know, this lust sin that I was, that I was, um, nurturing and we would get involved. Me and like the, the good kids would get involved in like destruction, destruction of people's property. We drive around at night and, and smash things and try not to get caught. And, and so there was, there was this, this mixture of, of desire to do right, but also sin. Um, I would also host get togethers at our house. So it wasn't a party. It was a get together. Um, my parents allowed us to have a hundred, 200 people over our house. And so our house was like the kind of the clean house, um, where we would just host all these youth and where most of the parents would, would not go outside. My father would come outside and give a big speech to all the other people and say, hey, you're all welcome to be here. Um, and you don't, you're not allowed to drink here. Um, no drinking, no smoking. If you want to do that, go somewhere else. Um, but he would walk around and he'd go out and, and at night, you know, there'd be a kind of a, a get together and a big group of young people. And he would go out there and surprise all the other parents. He'd say, well, you're going outside. He's like, yeah, sure. And so that, that, that impacted me that he was willing to get involved. Um, and during those teen years, he began, my father began a, a, a question and answer like a topical bible study and i remember sitting in on that it was my older siblings and it was the kind of the first time i really noticed the bible and it was mostly like he would do a very topical like they'd ask questions about suicide and and abortion and just these different teen questions and and he would just dig in and answer those questions um i noticed at that time my family was more into maxim this false prophet uh, they were, my, my family was more into him <clears throat> than most Molokans, especially my mother's side of the family. And I became more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my father's. And, and I wanted to learn more about Maxim and, and because of those who were, who were the Maximists, those who were that, that portion of the Molokans were more, were more, seemed to be more fervent. Um, and, and those who were like, who would talk about Jesus just kind of seemed to be lax and, and, um, and I noticed that. So moving on, I was 18 years old. And, and so my older teen years would be first Timothy through 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction of correction, for instruction, righteousness, 
Um, I started attending a couple of exegetical Bible studies taught by older Molokan men where we would, they would just teach through the Bible. And that was, that was eye opening to me. Um, and so before this time, I remember I was a mid teen. I, my, my uncle had bought me a King James Bible. So I remember sitting at my desk one time. I think I was 15 years old and I sat at my desk and I was like, I'm going to read my Bible. Like, like I want to do this. And I remember sitting down and just, I, I remember just my head swirling and there was like words and I couldn't really grasp it. And, and so that was my history with the Bible, but going to these Bible study, I, I was, I was taught, I think I was taught a lot of truth. And so these are both men who weren't really into the book of spirit and life. That's the Malakon's book. It's called the, the book of spirit and life or the book of the sun. And so these two Bible teachers were more biblical based. And so I, I started learning scriptures and I remember hearing, and I remember the gospel hitting me. I was 18 years old. I was at um, this man, Jim Metchikoff's house, who was teaching the Bible studies, an elder man. Um, and I remember think, hearing like, oh, like you believe on Jesus and, and you're saved. And, and I was, I was 18. I remember exactly where I was sitting at his house. And it was, it was like the lights went on. Um, but nothing changed. But I remember understanding it. Um, during that time, I heard of this, this, Guy who was a little older than me named Johnny Ladaev, he, um, something interesting happened that he had left the Molokans, but I remember hearing that he had gotten married. And the peculiar thing about his marriage was, and, and my aunt was telling me the story kind of, kind of derisively, and that they, you know, at their wedding, like Johnny and his wife were going to kiss for the first time. And I remember something went off in my head thinking, Hey, that's, there's something good about that. And we had a little debate. My aunt was like my older brother's age. And so we had a little discussion about whether that was a good idea or not. And I thought it was a good idea. Again, thinking about these zealous things. Um, also, through one of these Bible teachers, I was introduced to some outside teaching. And it was actually Ken Ham <coughs> and uh, Answers in Genesis Ministry and, and, um, and also Michael Pearl. And so I got a book and was, was, was opened up to some outside Bible teaching. And so from Ken Ham, I learned that I could just believe the Bible. And it was, that was life changing for me. And, and Michael Pearl, through him, it was, it was an idea of a godly family. There's like a, a, the last chapter of his book to his two children. It really, it was a child training book. And I'm 18 years old. And, uh, so if you asked me at 18, I knew everything about child training. You should have just asked my friends who had children. Um, I shake my head about the things that I said now, but, but I had it, I had it pinned down. Um, but it gave me a vision for a, a godly family and a holy life. Um, I worked at a computer doing, uh, drafting. And so I would listen to, I, I found this sermon audio and sermon index. So I listened to like revival preaching and Charles Spurgeon and Ian Paisley and Leonard Ravenhill. And, and so I listened to a lot. I can't remember a lot of the other names, but. It was Bible teaching. And during that time, I started debating other people about the Trinity. There was some Molokan like chat rooms and stuff and, and ex Molokans would debate. And I started debating because Molokans don't believe the Trinity. And, and through, through trying to debate it, I ended up seeing it in the scriptures, seeing that the, the divinity of Christ. And, um, and so during that time, as I was growing fervency and like learning about the Bible, I, I loved Molokan culture and traditions. And so, so Molokans, when they go to church, they wear this kind of peasant style clothing. The women's dress is real modest and they cover their heads and the men wear this kind of tunic shirt and a little rope belt like, you know, a hundred years ago, peasant Russian, Russians would. Um, 
but as soon as they leave, they get all changed and, and they blend right back in with the world. But I loved it. I, I tried to make Molokan culture and traditions fit with the Bible. And I was just trying to, trying to make these things go together. I, I, I was hearing good Bible teaching and I was trying to make them all go together. And, um, but I had no, no prayer life, no personal Bible reading. I had no victory over sin. So pornography was, and, and, and masturbation was gaining ground in my life. And I was zealous for Jesus and I was zealous for Maxim, this false prophet. And I try to make, make them fit together. And Maxim even wrote a couple of prayers, um, like, to Jesus and they were real beautiful. And so it was, it was just it, this confusing mixture of things in my mind. Um, and so, so all American Molokans don't accept Maxim as the King of spirits and that he's going to rule under Christ in the thousand year reign and all this stuff. But, but all in order to, to be an American Molokan church, they all need to kind of tip their hat to him. So there's even churches that almost don't re- accept him at all but they still have his book open on their main altar table in the church. And, and so they all have to do that because if they take it off then the church kind of gets, gets cut off from the rest of the churches. And so at, at 23 years old, the, the next scripture at, at, in my early twenties is first Peter one sixteen, be ye holy. And, and so the idea of holiness was was coming to to bear in my mind um i i met and married my beautiful wife manya uh which is russian for mary um uh, we were both we were both into god and we were both interested in getting married which was fairly unique at that time in our age group she's a few years younger than i am and um When I was 17, I, I, I asked God. So that my prayer life ex- ex- existed. Uh, um, my, my prayer life was basically when I wanted things. And so at 17, I asked God, I want a wife. I was ready to get married at 17. So at 23, I got married. Um, I thought I was ready at 17. And so I finally had a wife of my own. And, and we both tried. We both tried to. We had some good, some good marriage counseling. And, and we both tried to, to make it work. And there was some sweet things about our, our early marriage, um, but I brought sin into our marriage. And um, neither one of us was born again. And I and I desired holiness. I desired victory over sin. I, I hated my sin, but I didn't really hate my sin. Or, or I, it's hard to it's hard to pin it all down. Like did I did I not quite understand? I kept going to it. I, I kept and I kept lying about it, but. Um, but we wanted a different kind of life. We, from when, so we grew up with a TV. Um, my wife's family got a TV in her early teens and she saw the shift in her family. Um, and, and we both decided we're not going to have a TV when we get married. Um, and so we didn't. Uh, now we would, we would watch worldly movies and stuff on, on computers and go to my parents' house and watch TV. <laughs> but, but we, we tried to make these particular lines in our life. And, um, so about a year after marriage, we decided to leave the city. There's a Molokan community up in kind of around the Silverton, uh, Woodburn area uh, around nearby Salem, Oregon. 
And I loved Oregon. I had visited there a few times, visited the Molokan group up there um, and never thought about moving. And then one day we talked about it. And my parents said, we're thinking about moving to Oregon. My wife and I went up there one weekend to consider moving up there. And, and when we left Oregon, we had an offer in on a house. So we, we got out of the city. My mindset was, you know, I'm going to flee Sodom and Gomorrah before it, or I'm going to flee Sodom and Gomorrah before the fire falls from heaven. I wanted to raise a family and I didn't want to do it in the city. And I thought that was the answer. Um, so we got chickens and goats and ducks and lived on, on Silver Creek. It was a beautiful little property, uh, on the edge of Silverton. And we got, we still had sin. I still had sin. Um, our marriage wasn't doing well at some point. My wife discovered my sin and considered leaving at one point. Um, but, but the divorce levels have historically in the Molokans have been very, very low. Um, even at that time. So about, I was almost 20 years ago. And during that time, I was, I was again listening, listening to, to teaching and listening to preaching. Um, the, uh, Leonard Ravenhill and, and like holiness and prayer and those things were starting to, to take root more and, and stir me up. The, the scripture for this next season, like in early days of Oregon was Romans 611, reckon yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Um, and it was actually through, um, I don't, I don't, um, recommend everything Michael Pearl teaches, but, but I, he, I listened to his teachings on Romans six, seven, and eight for like two years over and over and over and over and over sitting at a computer drawing blueprints. And, and I believed what the scripture said that we can be dead to sin and alive to God, that we can have victory. We can, we can have victory over sin. And for two years, I, I just, I believed that by faith, I believing that I could be dead to sin and, and it didn't work. It wouldn't work. And I couldn't figure out why. And um, I, I was learning the Bible through, again, outside teaching. I was teaching a Bible study. And um, the next scripture at, at 28 years old is Second uh, Corinthians 13, 15. Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. And, and it was through, again, I, I would... It was just confusing. I would, I would watch street preachers and, and be excited about those kind of things. And I would look at pornography. And, and so my whole life was just a big jumble. And it was some, some preaching again by, um, online stuff, but through Paul Washer. And he just had these scathing messages. And, and I just knew there was something, there was something about it. I knew there was something that, that needed to change. And, um, So I, I had, it was through a message on that scripture, examine yourself to see if you're in the face. So I, I got away and I, I, I spent some time fasting. Actually, I don't think I got away. I think I was just, I was around the house. I was spending some time fasting and praying. And, um, and I actually still have the notebook right down here. And I wrote some things on this notebook and it was in a hundred years, will I be in heaven or hell? And, um, basically just examining my life. And I look back at, kind of the so I was 28 I look back at the 10 years from when I understood the gospel at 18 and and there was no no victory over sin um I didn't 
I didn't love God's word. I didn't have a prayer life. Um, at least I didn't have answered prayer. Let's say that. Um, at 28 years old, we already, we had two children by this point. And, um, no, three. Nathaniel's born too. And, uh, so I was just, I was reflecting on all of that. I had, I didn't have victory over sin and I knew that God would chasten his children. And so I was walking in sin, unrepentant sin for those years and I wasn't being chastened by God. And that was a key thing for me. It, it, it hit me and I thought, whoa. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else, but, but those things were, were so impactful to me that I realized like, I'm lost. And I actually said it with my mouth, like, I'm lost. I'm a sinner. And I didn't know what to do because I, I'd come to understand the gospel. I'd come to understand the truth. I'd come to understand holiness and, and all these things. And I thought, well, what do I do? How do I, how do I lay hold of this? And, um, and I ended up telling my wife and there was a time when, and she, she was perplexed about it. She was trying to figure out what was going on, who this man was that she was living with. And I, um, I remember at one point we were sitting in our living room in Silverton and she, she just opened her mouth and just out of her mouth just came this, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was just the pure unadulterated gospel. And and it was like I was I was sitting there on the on this bench and it was like I was like in this muddy water and I couldn't quite grab things. And as she as she was speaking, it was like it was this breath of life. And and in my heart I'm thinking, keep going, like keep going. Yeah, this is good, this is good. And and then she stopped. And inside I was going, No, don't stop, keep going, like like this is good. And 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 she stopped and it was kind of like I sunk back in and, and got confused again. And I think Satan lied to both of us that day. He, like, she thought, well, no, I can't teach my husband. And, and I thought, well, you know, I can't let my wife teach me. We at least learned that. But I just, <laughs> I, I think the gospel is one beggar telling another beggar where to find some food, you know, in the, in a simple way. Um, and then a, a couple of days later, I was teaching a Bible study and I thought, well, God spoke through a donkey. Maybe he could speak through me. <laughs> and I kept the Bible study going. But only my wife and one friend came. His name's John. And he's the most soft-spoken, quiet man that I know and still have ever known. So I was going to teach on Genesis 3 and 4 about the fall, interestingly. So I set it aside and I told John what was going on. I, I John, I'm, I'm lost. I, I went through this and I told, explained to him everything. He just kind of sits there. He opens his Bible. Doesn't say anything. He said, turn to Psalm such and such. I can't remember where. And we turned there and we read it. He said, is that you? And, and we spent the next four hours till about one in the morning looking at scriptures and talking and praying and, and crying out to God. And at some point I heard him just lift his voice louder than I'd ever hear him. And he cried out to God for me. And something changed that night. I confessed and I repented and I believed with all my heart. I, I didn't gain any more information, but, but something, something went from here to here. And, um, and so we're, 
it was so it was this experience and I learned enough about experiential Christianity that I wasn't like looking for an experience and, and I got an experience and and we're singing the song in, in Russian um oh give thanks to the Lord for his good for his mercy endureth forever and I'm raising my hands and I just feel this like like burden lifted like praise the Lord and I look at John and he just looks green he's just exhausted I look at my wife and she just like this and I just thought what's wrong with you guys aren't you happy don't you know what God did for us well they just fought a battle for my soul and and I'm reaping the benefits from it and 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 everything changed from that day everything changed like like my life so 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 this next scripture is second Corinthians 5 17 therefore if any man be in Christ Jesus he is a new creature he's a new creation old things are passed away behold all things are become new um my life was as different as death and life, darkness, light, uh, bondage to liberty. Um, within a month, my wife actually had had a, a similar but very distinct experience of her own um, because she had had not walked in, in, in her, according to her conscience as a teenage life. That's her story. But she had something, too, where she got clear with God. Um and 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 I sinned three more times with lust after that. It was about a month or two, and my my conscience was totally different, and my heart was broken. And God delivered me um, from that, from from pornography and and masturbation that year, and. Uh, <laughs> And our marriage was different and our relationship was different and how we looked at, at what life was was different. Everything tasted and smelled and felt new. Uh, Molokans don't believe in water baptism. And so a year later, we happened to visit the church in Cane Creek. Um, and it was actually Michael Pearl who baptized me. And then I got to baptize my wife at the same time. Um, other Molokan friends who at that same season were seeking and some people were trying to argue with me and saying, Oh, you didn't get, you didn't get saved. You, you were always were, you know, you just kind of woke up or something. I said, no, I was lost. Oh, no, no, Micah, you, you, we know you, Micah, you just, no, I said, I was lost and now I'm found. And, um, and some had some similar experiences. Actually, my two brother-in-laws, my, my sister's husband's, who um both a little older than me had similar experiences and we didn't find out till like a year or two later. It was kind of like a secret revival amongst a lot of Molokans. Um so we spent a year seeking with these people, with these other Molokans. And I remember even before I got baptized, we were even talking about baptism, like, well you haven't been baptized and I haven't. Do we can we go out the river and like baptize each other? It, it was interesting. We I'd never learned like really known about the Anabaptists and kind of how they did that. Um but um but we were trying to figure out what to do and uh after a year of seeking we we ended up hearing about this Christian homeschool conference in Oregon so we went there and I didn't know what to expect I I didn't you know I I I listened to enough holiness preaching that I was worried about going to non you know American churches and um and I found a really really sweet remnant of people up in Portland at this homeschool conference talking about you know it's not about homeschooling it's about family discipleship and and we um there was this really peculiar looking group of people um handing out free cds and books i was pretty suspicious you know they were all smiling and and i was looking at these books by this guy named david burkott 
And I was like, I don't know who this guy is. And these godly home series by this guy named Denny. And, and I was like, yeah, I'll take a few of these. And I put them in a bag and, um, Kate went home and I searched David Burkott, David Burso. And, um, somebody said something bad about him. And I was like, oh yeah, that guy's probably crazy. And, um, but we, we met this group and, um, I think, uh, we went to their church. Well, it was a charity church in, in central, uh, in, uh, Halsey, Oregon, uh, Valley Christian Fellowship and, uh, where brother Roger Hutchler is. And, uh, we, we went to this church and met some people, some, some people who ran a Baptist background, some people who were not Anabaptist background, kingdom Christian seeking. And, um, it was really exciting during that year. We, we went back, back east and met some ex Molochons who were Mennonites. And they were in Tennessee and we met them in Kentucky, uh, Jim and Tanya Volkoff. And, um, and then we met the Pearls and, and it was just a really special year. We did some traveling, went to the, the creation museum and it was just this, this new newness of life. We learned about kingdom Christians and, and at that point started settling into those convictions more and more. Um, as I explored outside the Molokan fold, my seeking friends, seeking Molokan friends, most of them leaned back toward Moloconism and, and a lot of them we've, we've parted ways and, and it's been, it's been some difficult relationships and we've tried to reach out in different ways to a number of them. Um, and with a lot of them, it's, it's pretty difficult. The ones who are the most seeking seem to have drawn back from us at least. And, um, so the next, the next, and maybe the last season, I don't know, the next scripture, second Corinthians six seventeen. come out from among them and be separate, touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, saith the Lord. So after two years of seeking, we ended up telling our parents and our preacher that we were going to leave the Molokans and had some pretty decent conversations with a couple of them. My parents was a diff- more difficult conversation and um, we left everything. So that was our family. Our, our cousins, our aunts and uncles, our our grandparents uh, brought ended up bringing shame to our parents because in the Molokans, you know, people that leave are, are treated like kind of like Samaritan dogs. You know, those Ninash. The word Ninash is kind of this vernacular that we grew up with. It means not ours. And so anybody outside the Molokans was Ninash. When I grew up, you, you didn't drink out of the same cup as a Ninash. Uh, we had some workers that were working at a house when I was a little guy and they had their special cups and dishes that we would, you know, give them food. Um, my brother, my younger brother accidentally drank out of a Ninosh person's cup when he was a little guy and he like felt sick and didn't know what to do. And, uh, and so this is, this was the attitude of those on the outside. So we became those to our family. We became the, the ones that rejected, um, the faith. We left the faith is how they called it. And, um, even the way that Molokans do church is different from, you know, the, the typical American sitting in pews, everybody facing one direction. Molokans have church kind of in a circle and I, there's, there's more interaction and stuff like that. Um, so we left and we went to, we started visiting, uh, Valley Christian Fellowship. It's a charity church in Halsey, Oregon. And we attended there for, and we ended up moving down there, attended there for about two years. And had a, it was, it was a sweet season of life. Um, and I was seeking a people. Yeah. You know, I was seeking a people because I, I left my people and I was looking for, for that. Um, so there was a lot of really good things we got from down there, just settling in and understanding 
what a kingdom Christian was and seeing that in my, in my distant past. And, um, so, but certain things there, the Anabaptist cultural things that were involved with the church, they perplexed us. Um, I'm very much into modest dress and, and head covering. Um, but certain, but like legislating certain styles was, was like, it was difficult to wrap my head around and like you could have printed dresses, but you can't have print on your head covering. And, and, um, so, so we more struggled, my wife and I struggled with requiring that of someone else because I wanted to be somewhere where I could bring in people from the outside. And, um, and I also wanted an older brother to, to just be discipled by. And most of the people there at, at Valley were similar age. It was people a few years older than me, but most of us were similar age. And so after a couple of years there, we ended up moving on. Um, we were able to leave on, on good terms. I blessed them. We thanked them for their time there. And we still have some good relationships uh, there. And, and during that time, looking back, there was some stubbornness and pride in my own heart, too. Um, and that hopefully the Lord has dealt with. And um, we moved down to Southern Oregon. There was a home church there, a very outside the box home church. Um, this older brother who had 10 children who, who loved the Lord and who were following their father. And they, um, this brother James, I, I'd say he was, uh, brother Ernest Eby has this chart of like different groups and like how they, this is like a green and black chart. If you haven't looked at it, it's fascinating, but it's like, like kingdom Christians and then like people who are like kind of halfway grasp the kingdom. Um, I'd say that's what this group was. You know, brother James, he believed in the head covering and modesty. He wasn't going to send disciples to war because it was a wrong army, but he would allow people to be in the military. And, um, and so the, the group was a little, a little perplexing, but, but this, he, he had a heart to disciple uh young men and, and, he was in some ways like a spiritual father to me and it was really special to move down there. And I, my plan was to be down there for five years and then, and then move on to some other place where I can serve the Lord. And after nine months of us moving down there, he died. And so it was like, it, it was just so our whole world got shifted. Um, during the last three months when he, his brain cancer was coming on, uh, he had me start leading and, and, and preaching taking that over a little bit more. And so at 35 years old, I was pastoring a, a small home church. The church had been there for like 20 years, but it was a, it was a home church. And so for six years, I, I attempted to pastor this church in a, in a temporary, like an interim way. He was wanting to lay hands on me and ordain me before he died, but I had just moved down there and the brothers didn't quite know me. And, and so we were still just working through some of that. So I was in this temporary leadership position during that time. I grew in, in, in just grew with the Lord, but also just more settled into what it is to be a, a kingdom Christian. And, and um, there were challenges there, but there were also blessings. It was a, a really diverse, uh, but, but sweet group of believers. Um, and that's, that's in this area in Roseburg area. And, and if I could, if I can identify the, the group, I'd say they're, they're happily disunified or they're very unified in, in not pursuing unity on, on especially like pretty important Sermon on the Mount issues and identifying what it is to love your enemy and marriage, divorce, remarriage and, and head covering and modesty. And there's just some, a pretty diverse 
uh, package there. Um, even some will, and, and yeah, yeah. So I want to give the right picture of them. And, but two years ago, and, and through this time, I, I was trying to, trying to talk to them about, uh, kingdom things and, and it was a, it was, there were difficult conversations. There was not a lot of open, candid discussion and, and digging into those things. And, and the kind of a, a straw was we talked about, we we're starting to talk about age of baptism because I would lean to an older age of baptism and it was real, real difficult conversation. So about two years ago, I, I took a sabbatical. I just stepped back. Uh, there was an older, older brother from uh, like a holiness background who had moved in to the neighborhood area. And so I asked him to, to take over what I was doing and um, stepping back was really good for our marriage. Um, this one family was very strong, kind of their culture and identity in the church. And so our family felt kind of some pressure from them to be more like them. And they're German, we're Russian, East, West, you know, it's, there's just some different cultural things there. Um, and I felt like without leading a group, I could, I could think straight on some more things. And so it was a really good time during that time. We did a cross country trip and went to Boston and, um, so a year ago, we decided to, oh, a year and a half ago, decided going to go do a one-year program at Sattler, the one-year biblical certificate program, which is really, really exciting. And we knew Matthew Milioni from, um, from years before, from when he was out here in Oregon. And then the, the Brackett family was out there too. They had moved out there three years before to work at Sattler. And, um, so that move out there was really, it was really special. Um, like our, 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 connections just broadened I, I love connecting people like it, it lights me up like connecting like-minded brethren and so we went out there we we joined up with followers of the way and I really appreciate a lot of what the lord's doing there we met a whole bunch of brothers and sisters we um went met, met the church of christ in woburn and chuck pike and david adams and that group there uh, we went up to maine and met um beacon of light christian fellowship emmanuel king and his family and um Marlon and Darla Weaver down in Rhode Island, they were in Rhode Island at that point and and really appreciate their family and, and, and just made some really deep friendships there, as well as doing the one year of Sattler. I got to sit down and I got to write a, a paper on like church membership and divorcing of marriage and, and head covering and all these things I've been wanting to spend time thinking. It was very like sitting in a quiet room and studying and praying and looking at the scriptures and learning about scholarly papers and it, it was really, it was really special time to, to spend just really grasping these things on a deeper level. And, um, so then after the year, uh, Oh God, got to know, got to know brother Finney out there too, as well as others. Um, and then after the year we came back to Oregon, but, but during the last six months there and actually for the last, so, so when the sabbatical happened, I was starting thinking of like looking forward because I'd realized that this, this group that we were part of wasn't going to, didn't seem like they were going to change. Like they were pretty settled, more foundationally evangelical. Um, and it didn't seem like there was going to be any, any significant change there. So I started thinking about the future and, and going to another church or starting something and had a great talk with uh, a dear brother, Tyler. And we we're talking about what it looks like to go ahead, to move forward and, and, and to lead 
and to lead other people and, and like, like talking about unity, you, you know, oh, the truth brings unity and, and, and untruth and, and false teaching brings disunity. And some of those things were, were really helpful for me. So then the last six months in Boston, about a year ago, we started talking about coming back here, um, seeing that the impact of living in the city, we lived in the city, in the apartment and, and seeing the impact of being in, around so many people. We had did evangelism class at Sattler, which homework was great. Homework was one hour of prayer a week, uh, have an, un, a, a purposeful half hour long, uh, Bible study with a non-Christian, um, <laughs> and then read some real good books. So, so I, I appreciated that. I was, that I was pressed into that. I looked through my phone and realized I barely had any non-Christians in my phone contacts. And um, we ended up having some really great Bible studies with some Muslim men who I'm still in communication with over there in Boston. Actually, one's in Iraq now and one's still in Boston. And um, it was really seeing what a church can do in the city was just it was shifting my mindset. All the godly men said, get out of the city. You know, Brother Denny and Mike Pearl, just like all these men are like, you know, get out of there. But. I realized that the New Testament doesn't necessarily say that. And so we started talking about Portland, my wife and I, and then the Brackets were considering coming back to Oregon during that time. This is Jeremy and Jessica Brackett family who was in Boston, who was originally from Oregon. And we were in the same church in Halsey years ago. We had stayed connected with them. And we started talking about, about a kingdom church here in Oregon. And, um, so as we talked about it, we did some some Zoom calls for a few months and, and thought this is this is a good idea. And we wrote a letter to the church here and um, let to let them know what our intentions were. And that that letter has become more of like a I changed it into an article about church life in the kingdom. And uh, it was really good for my wife and I. We take, took about a month to really pray over this thing and and, and see what we saw going forward for church life. So we, um, we left there, left Boston and, and had a really great trip coming back. We went to state college and met the brethren there. Um, and, um, went to Burden Christian Fellowship and got to know brother Alan Troyer and all the way across went to Las Cruces, New Mexico and met some really precious brethren, the, uh, German Baptist. New Conference Church down in Las Cruces, New Church Plant, and, and quite a few other people across the states. And, and coming back, my thought was, was who are who are my people? And 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 what I mean by that is is Kingdom Christians, which which would um, I, I like that I like Brother David Berceau's, um phrase, the Kingdom Christians, um, because it it encompasses those of uh, of, of Anabaptist background who, who are foundationally kingdom Christians and as well as others. Um, and, and I was trying to understand who, who are these people? And honestly, there's a little selfish thought in here too. My oldest son is almost 17 and I have a daughter who's 15 and another son who's 14. And I think my, my children need to know like what fishing pool ponds they're going to be grabbing spouses from or, you know, in my daughter's case, who they're going to be grabbed by. And, um, <laughs> And I wanted them to understand. And so Boston was a really good time and Maine and, and, and our children like were 
understood that it wasn't just their papa who had these crazy ideas, but there's, there's a bigger group of people who believe like us. And so that was real pivotal for our family. And then the trip back across. So coming back, we came back with the, with the vision of brackets and us came back at the same time, um, with the plan to plant a kingdom church in Portland. And, and they were with us for a while. And then they found a house uh, a couple hours up north. And so we're here now in Oregon looking at the future with, with a vision and a burden, um, to, to plant a kingdom church in Portland. The closest one is about 45 minutes away. I think that's, um, um, not Hopewell, but there's a, uh, uh, and, so our desire is to be really close, trying to figure out what that looks like, what our families can, can function in, how much inner city we can function in. And we've had some conversations about that, realizing our strengths and where we're at. Brackets have 11 children, some are little babies, and we have nine children, still one, still a little baby. And, and what it looks like, we have seven boys, the brackets have seven boys. And so they need some space to be able to be boys and be men and learn those things and, but but our our desire is to see a, is to see the kingdom of God manifest in the city of Portland, and and so being at different places, being at State College, meeting the brethren in in Western Mass Amherst, um, being in Boston, um, meeting some of the brothers from our brother Wendell from Pittsburgh, and and just grabbing hold, um, connected up with brother um, J Anthony Hertzler in Oklahoma and. Uh, just just seeing that it could work, seeing that it moving in or real close to the city, it doesn't necessarily devour your families. But but the kingdom of God is bigger than that. The kingdom of God is more powerful. The light is brighter than the darkness. And, and that's that's some of our, our heart, mm-hmm. and our, our desire. We we appreciate a lot of, um, you know, things we saw in, in Boston and things we saw in State College and, and our desires to. Not just, not just one church, but, but to, to have an interconnected network of, of interdependent congregations to, to, to build and encourage each other. And, and that was our desire of coming back across the U.S. and connect with more of these brothers. And so if I get, you get a random uh, text message from me, like asking you some strange questions, I, I just, I love connecting brothers and I want to be connected more. And we have some of this technology to do that. Um, I, I know I have uh, a certain gifts that the Lord's given me, but I know that I'm lopsided and I need others locally around me to, to help me with that. But also we need uh, congregations. We, we have, we're going to have imbalances too. And, and we need to, to give and receive. Um, you know, Paul in the meeting of Romans said, I, I would, I want to, um, um, give you some spiritual gift. I want to read that. Right in Romans one at the beginning, he said, um, he said, making request, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end. Ye may be established. And then he, he says, that is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And he had a scripture that is so powerful that, that we each have our, our walk with God. We each have our faith and, and we can encourage and strengthen and, and help each other 
as we can, as we tr- gain trust and learn and grow with each other, we can help build up not just our local bodies, but, but we can encourage each other more intra, intra locally. Uh, there was a really interesting thing I learned from a, a nationwide fellowship church we visited a bunch of years ago. They have each bishop is kind of like a an outside advisor to two other churches. And then that local church has two other bishops from two other churches kind of being their counselors. And so that's some of the model we've sort of grabbed and copied state college. We have three older brothers who've been involved in church leadership and, and planting and stuff who are, like our advisors for our our local church it's it's us our family and the jeremy and jessica bracket family and so we're going to be moving two hours north near the brackets so we're going to be there for in holding pattern waiting for another one or two families to bring their their gifts and their loaves and fishes and and connect up and unite together and then we're going to transition up to the southeast portland areas where we keep it's where my thoughts keep going. It's where I keep thinking about. Um, and my wife, when we decided that Southeast Portland will be where we go, my wife reminded us me of a dream she had a year ago, um, which which in the dream we were looking for some housing and she had saw the, the city of Portland and down and to the right, there was like a an area outlined. There was no words, but it was just like the Lord has a place for us. And um and as we settled on Southeast Portland, she said, well, I had a dream. And I says, well, why did you tell me the dream? She said, I did tell you. And I said, I don't remember. But but it was just a, a, I, I'll take that as some confirmation. I, I I take dreams with a grain of salt. But when it when it confirms what we're, we're going prayerfully, I uh, I'm encouraged by that. So that's that's our story hitherto. And um, we want to move forward together by the grace of God. Thank you so much, Brother Micah. Um, so many times on our strength to strength uh, calls, talks, I, I, um, I get that Emmaus Road effect from a heart burns within me. And uh, thank you, Brother, for, for uh, doing that this morning. Uh, I really am touched by your testimony and your, your passion. Um, praise the Lord. And just <clears throat> as we get started here, I, um, you, you mentioned that, that verse in Galatians 1, where Paul is talking about his zeal that he had for Judaism and how God got a hold of him. And then in Galatians 2, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Amen. who loved me and gave himself for me. And praise God, I see that in your life. And um, God, God's at work. His, his kingdom is coming Amen. Uh, in your life and continuing to come and in our lives and in people who don't know him. And there's, uh, there's, there's ones in Portland who I'm confident God is preparing for your arrival um, there. But it, it takes patience, doesn't it, for a vision like that to, to, to sprout and to actually Put roots downward, and um, but I want to just encourage you to uh, keep putting those roots downward, and and getting that foundation set for for that work there. Um, so yeah, thank you for taking on, on this journey. I have a number of questions that I, as I listen, I, I typed out here. Um, so, but I don't want to I don't want to monopolize the 
the, the time to ask you questions here, but maybe what I'll do. Um, so first of all, you mentioned about a document um, that you kind of put together. Maybe is it your vision for, for your, for the church? Yeah. So we have a, we have a one page, like, like vision for the next season of life. And then mm-hmm. the, uh, and then a little bit bigger one, which is more like kind of more in depth, like what church, what we, how we see church life. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And would you, would you, um, is that something you, you open to sharing at all? I, sure. I do think you have your email there on your, your bio on the webpage. So, I mean, either we could, we could attach to the page or possibly, you know, if you were interested in seeing that, you could email. Um, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll send those to you. Uh, you can email Micah and um, ask him ask him for that. Um, this is, is a big vision that you have there even in Portland. Um, but uh, as you mentioned, uh, it's this vision of going into the cities, you know, um, and and being the that, that kingdom community, right, a sacred community there um is is really needed in our day and i just want to bless you for that vision of not running and retreating and building walls and making those lanes longer but going forward with that with that um that glint in our eyes that jesus is king (laughs) and the gates of hell will not prevail against us and um we we need more of that in our day that's really inspiring uh and then of course your vision for kingdom networking Uh, i really appreciate that as well it's a passion in my heart, and um, it's something I, I think about often: is how can we nurture that? Um, unfortunately, we've we've had the, we kind of get these little weird stratas going on, maybe in the kingdom world that that I, I think have been less helpful than helpful. Um, but how can we? Um, yeah, how can we nurture this cross pollination um, idea and uh, network together? And wow. Um, Maybe sometime we'll have to un- unpack that, unpack that more for sure. But, um, uh, and have you maybe, maybe, uh, something I'd love to see happen sometimes like a panel discussion here on second strength, you know, how can we actually create a lattice work or a framework that can help really intentionally nurture these type of things? And of course, that's one of the burdens for second strength really is to bring people together, um, uh, and using, you know, just using a platform like this, but maybe we can, uh, we can unpack that some more sometime later. So, uh, and then, uh, lastly, um, and then I'll open this up here then after, after this question is I would like for you to, to give us, um, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, but give us, uh, the, the kingdom message in, in a couple of sentences. As you think about your Russian Malakan, which I find totally fascinating. I, I, this was like a new thing for me. Um, I, in June when I met you, I'd never heard of the group. Um, so it's very fascinating, but, um, but as you share with them, the kingdom of God, like obviously they're reading, you know, the Bible, uh, um, but just through such a different lens. So, or even as you interact with your Anabaptist friends, your neighbors or your Protestants, like what is the kingdom of God? And how do you describe that in a way that, that help people see it? Like, could you, could you give us a couple sentences there? Mm. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm not good on the spot. Um, that that God, let me see. That that God wants to manifest His kingdom on earth through mankind, mm-hmm. and He sent Christ to to declare that message to live it in our sight 
to die and rise again victorious over the grave and so that we can we can come to him in faith and repentance and 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 enter into that kingdom and have our sins washed away and be made new creatures and that that new creation is the kingdom of God manifest that new creation being sons of God like Jesus to be, mm. to be co-heirs together with him, to be his little brothers and sisters and followers of him. Um, uh, again, brother Brousseau's obedient love faith relationship. And so in, in union with Christ, I think salvation is union with Christ. And, and, and so as much as we're in Christ, we're in him and in his kingdom and, and loving him and obeying him and obeying him because we love him and, and and that live that life together, that our life together is a manifestation uh, of that kingdom. So that that was one thing I did want to mention that I didn't write down is that that lived that lived experience as brothers and sisters together is part of that message. So as the world looks on and sees us by your love one for another, they will know you're my my disciples. But also John 17, Father, make them one that the world would know that you sent me. So that that unified love together is a manifestation of of God ruling in us together. That's yeah, I really appreciate that. And um, the 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 exciting thing about this this kingdom of God on earth, this present kingdom, is what that does. It it goes from a me and Jesus to begin to use like plural pronouns, like our and mm-hmm. and us. And that's what to me is so powerful. You know, the Russian Mullicans, you know, don't really speak of salvation as I heard you talking. You know, I, they, they're not talking about getting saved. But then you move over into the Protestant world, even, you know, sadly to the Anabaptist world now has been so influenced with this idea, but it's me and Jesus idea. But this kingdom of God on earth is just, it, it just transforms how you think. And, um, and amen. Thank you for, for sharing that. So I'm going to open it up. This will be first here. That's not, it's not. Uh, I do want to say one thing real quick. I, I, amongst the Molokans, somebody, one of my children was just asking me, Papa, do you think there's any Molokans that are saved? And I have to say, I think there are. Um, and I just wanted to, to let you know it's, it's fairly diverse amongst them, but it seems like there are a small number who really know the Lord. I, I just wanted to be honest there. Sure. All right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this morning. I am, uh, I'm going to butt in here right quick here. Uh, a couple of things I enjoy. I enjoyed your story. I, I loved it. It's to see a man come to the Lord. That that's exciting. Um, so I'm leaving here in 40 minutes to go to spend three weeks of Bible school teaching. And my one class is pilgrim living. And the kingdom is like central to that class. And, and not to this, our Anabaptist people, but, but the vision of, of young people, okay, using the word this isn't right, but, but you know, each of us has a journey to make where we have to wrestle with and learn what it is to surrender our lives to God. And even you at age 28, I just, I just find this fascinating. A man who's seeking the Lord, who's trying to do what's the right thing and he's reading and whatever, he has to come to that place where he's, where he plugs in and he gets it and and that's what each of us has to do is just to get it. 
Um, and it's not just, it's not just the getting saved thing. It's, it's, uh, I mean, there is the experience of the born again experience, but, but it's not just that it's, it's, uh, yeah. So I just have this burden for three weeks boiling up in me and you just kind of put that all, put that all together. Um, and then the other fun thing about this conversation was the context of, as I mentioned earlier, so you're in the Northwest and, uh, I grew up there. I have roots there. Um, yeah, this is a, it, it just put all, it was a good, it was a good, uh, morning for me. So, uh, God bless you. I'm going to click off now and go on my way, but, uh, but, uh, God bless you and your work there. Thank you. Lessons, Tony. All right. Who's, who's next here? Well, brother Mike, I really enjoyed your your um, sharing your testimony here. I was looking forward to it. Um, like you mentioned, we got to meet briefly in State College. Uh, I think most of the time while we that we spent together was somewhat in the cold waters of Spring Creek in State College. So, <laughs> yeah, um, a bunch of boys playing in the water too, and some big boys. Anyhow, God bless your. Um, jumping into the work there in in Portland and yeah God bless you as you look look to him for leading and I, I love your your vision too for connectedness and the connections in, in kingdom Jesus following churches um, I think we need to explore that some more yeah also uh, so yeah brother uh and Micah, I really enjoyed your uh, uh, talk this morning, and I feel like I know you a lot better now. I, I know your story, and uh, and uh, I really uh, appreciate uh, getting to know you, you know the backstory of where you come from and and your vision for the future. So, uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you, Micah, for, for sharing. It was uh, very fascinating. Uh, one quick question. So you, you mentioned uh, how early on in your life, like in your teen years, you had this uh, passion for for being um, uh, zealous in the in the faith as it was taught to you. Um, any, any thoughts on like how how to uh, develop that in in an oncoming generation to be zealous and and not just the blase about that life. Oh, I've got, I've got three teenagers and a bunch of little ones. And I, I think about that often. And I, I hope, I hope I'm, uh, I hope I'm on the right track. But one thing I think about is just, is just living on fire for God myself. And they're going to believe it. Like it seems like, and together, like spouses together. I think that's pretty important is that as that as my wife and I lose our lives for Christ, that that's like an, that's an important thing for them to be able to really believe us. They know, I mean, they know us 
I, I don't know how to do it for others outside of our family. I guess maybe it's the same answer, but that, that's just what the first thought that comes to my mind is, is that they can look ahead and, and they can have heroes. You know, our, our children want heroes. They, uh, you know, the world puts heroes out there for them. Um, but they really, I mean, boys want their dad, their, their, their papa to be their hero and girls want their mother to be their heroes. But, um, you know, they'll look for others too. And I, I think pointing them to others who are losing their lives for the gospel as well as, as well as each other. Uh, as well as ourselves, I think that's pretty, that's pretty important, you know, and, and, you know, you can read books and, and heroes and stuff, but I think, I think in a, a lived example, that that's my thought. How about you? You got any ideas? No, I appreciate those, those thoughts. And um, so Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And uh, I think it's like really encouraging for me to see when people are like hungering and thirsting for righteousness and, and not like uh, pushed into this or anything, you know what I mean? When it comes from the inside, uh, from this uh, deep hunger and thirst. So yeah, I just uh, was encouraged by hearing and seeing that in in your uh, testimony. So yeah, many blessings on you. Thank you. Hey, uh, John, coming in here from Southern Ohio. This is the first time I speak on here. I've been um, on this. Strength to strength multiple times last few Saturday mornings. I find it very encouraging in my, in my faith, in my walk with, with Jesus. Um, to piggyback on your question, Glenn, that's also, uh, probably my m- most, the, there is no other, other passion I think that I have as a daddy that's more burning daily than that how do i how do i transmit my passion for jesus that i should have to my to my children you probably saw my nine-year-old son in the background here and i find it very interesting that he was he was listening to your story mike and then he went over here and got the martyr's mirror and started looking through the martyr's mirror so that tells me he, he caught it but uh, we live in a, in a, we're part of a church here that we, we really, we really feel, um, that the brothers under, understand e- each other, but yet there is a underlying love for the world that I struggle with. Um, trucks, um, making money, um, us Anabaptist pe- people are ex- excellent in making lots of money. And I was really challenged with your, um, I know I'm a little all over the map here, but I was really challenged with your, uh, what, what you had to do, what you were supposed to do in your homework in, in, uh, Sattler college is a half hour a a week talking to somebody that, uh, that is not a believer about your faith in, in, in Jesus, which is something us, as people, um, Mennonite people as a whole, we, we, we tend to struggle with. So all of this put together in a nut, nut, nutshell, this talk this morning has been very, very encouraging for us. And I want to transmit what I'm feeling burning in my chest for the kingdom of God to my children. And I'm just convicted uh, sitting here this morning that it starts it starts right here 
in my in my life as as their daddy. And one thing I have experienced is if the children know that daddy is not going to hide anything in his moral life or in his my frustrations with the family and we work through things together and I I'm a daddy that can be approached at any given time. Number one, the children are going to see through their daddy one way or another. They're going to do it. And if daddy is open about it on his own, that does more in my experience to bring us on the same page than any, any, anything else. So yes, any tips, Micah, about how to transmit that to our children, uh, bring it on. I, I, I'm 39 years old and I have, um, I'm a man that has needs. Uh, I, I want to be my children's he- he- hero. That's my bottom line. Amen. Yeah, I was just thinking about the, uh, the importance of others. Like, you know, we're our biggest, uh, the biggest influence on our children. They're going to believe things about God based on us. You know, there's uh, psychological things and, and whatever, but, um, they're going to really believe what they see in our lives. I know it. Um, but I've also, influ- I've also know that a secondary thing to that is others around who are losing their lives for the gospel. Like if everybody around us is just lukewarm and I mean, I'm not going to thrive and, and my children are going to go, Oh, Hey, we can either, you know, be not have enough of all of this stuff because you know, look at Papa. He's doesn't spend 60 hours a week earning dollars, but this guy does. Look at that cool truck. And, you know, that, that's my thought is, is that we're going to, they're going to, they're going to pick up stuff around us as well as from us. Um, plus all mm-hmm. the, all the basic, I mean, I, I love Danny's brother, Danny's godly home series. It just, you know, <laughs> marriage is solid. Um, you know, not being hypocrites, being able to apologize to our children, all those really good basic things, but I'm more like going on from there, like adding to that and good relationships. Relationships are solid with our children. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically that, that's, that's sort of where we find ourselves as a family is we have, we have a brotherhood that we love and I know they love, I mean, it's, it's a loving brotherhood. But it's sort of confusing currently for some of my children because some of the things that they see happening in the church, daddy would never allow. And yet I talk of these daddies as being men of God and they can't really figure out, you know, (laughs) two plus two does not end up being four. And yet, you know, so we're, we're on a journey is basically what we're saying. Yeah. Well, may the Lord give you the desires of your heart, Brother John. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Amen. Any any other um, questions here? We're at 730. Ready? Uh, we, we we need to let Micah go back to sleep. So let's, uh, we should wrap this up here pretty soon. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. I'm all, I'm all jazzed up now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Amen. Okay. Wonderful. I, I love, uh, Patrick, your nine points right here. That's, that's some good stuff. Wow. Love it. Thank you for sharing that.
um, Patrick is, uh, has been, he was, he was the, the inspiration for strength and strength. And, uh, I really, really appreciate your influence here, Patrick. Thanks for being part of this and influencing this. You're, you're a, a blessing in the kingdom. All right. Well, we better wrap this up. So again, Micah, um, thank you for coming on here. Such a blessing to have you share and challenge us here at the sunset of 2022. And then this be, uh, be fuel for the journey, uh, as we travel into 2023 and see what God has for us. Um, Micah, could you just close us in, in prayer here? Sure. Sure. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, uh, we bless you. We love you. Uh, thank you, Father, for this exercise of uh, being able to go through my story, which is your story of, of laying hold of me. And um, I think of that quote, you know, our, our hearts find our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And um, that's so true. Uh, thank you for so great salvation, for saving my soul and making me your son. And um and for giving me brothers and um, sisters and houses and lands a hundredfold in this life, Father, and, and, and eternal life. So I, um, I pray that this story uh, of your hand in my life could be a blessing to others. I pray, Lord, that you would um, build us together uh, with zeal and humility and boldness and um that Christ would be formed in us individually, in our marriages, in our families, uh, in our churches, Lord, that Christ would be formed in our churches and in our connection, Lord, more broadly. Um, Father, help us to, to be well connected, Father, so that the world, by our love, would know that we're your disciples, and by us being one, that the world would know, Father, that you sent the Lord Jesus. Uh, bless us, Father, with more of your presence, more of your spirit as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, Lord willing, we're going to meet back here in two weeks for a, a really important talk to kick off the new year. And the title of that talk is going to be The New Humanity by John D. And uh, here's, this, here's the description here. God created a perfect humanity. All of us still carry the idea, the ideals of that humanity in our hearts. But attempts to fulfill those ideals in a fallen world usually end up in disillusionment. Have these ideals been left to mock fallen man? Or has God given us a way for their genuine fulfillment? So, um, join us back here in two weeks to hear, um, this, this, uh, this, rallying call to be part of that that new humanity right here and right now um in in our day in our in our in in our generation which is very very needed and uh, micah you you challenged along that line this morning and uh may god's kingdom come may his will be done on earth as it is in heaven and god bless you brothers today and we'll talk soon Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his 